get out your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 46. Psalm 46. It's good to see you here tonight. Uh, good to be here together. Appreciate those songs that Roger uh, led for us. We live in a world that feels pretty chaotic. Um, we have depression and anxieties that are threatening to sweep us away and make us feel uh, insignificant, make us feel hopeless. Uh, and, and in some cases, we have trials that we meet over and over and over again that, that just never stop. And so we devoted uh, a little bit of time to the idea and the topic of depression and thinking about uh, facing depression and understanding uh, the spiritual needs that we have whenever we're going through difficult times. I'm no therapist or anything like that, but there are spiritual helps uh, that, that I can find and see in scriptures that I wanted to bring before you uh, that I think are very encouraging and uplifting in times of distress and in times when everything seems to be falling apart. If you're in the midst of your darkest hours and facing overwhelming anxieties, do you realize that there's a force and a presence so strong and so reassuring that the very foundations of the earth couldn't shake it? Do you realize that? That's something that I sometimes don't think about, don't consider. But that's something that the psalmist that we're going to be reading about knows, and that's what he shares with us. We're going to be looking at a psalm that is... Uh, as I studied one of Martin Luther's favorite psalms, and I think he was one who penned the Mighty Fortress song that we just sang, he would refer to it often as he was going through different trials and times of suffering. Uh, not that he's a pillar of our faith or anything, but it is interesting that this was a psalm that he would use. And I think we also can turn to this psalm whenever we're in trouble, whenever we're struggling in life, whenever we're facing uh, something that scares us, something that uh, depresses us and causes great distress and anxiety in our lives. So we're going to be looking at this together. Now let's start with verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Let's just pause and think about the first verse because it's really the setup for the whole psalm. And it's a really powerful verse for us to consider. Uh, think for just a moment about burdens and, and trials and things that you have to face in life. Maybe things you've done every day. Maybe things that uh, happen every now and then, once a month, once a year. Maybe things that have happened just once in your life in the past. Think about those burdens and those trials and those difficulties in life. Uh, and, and then think about where you go to look for refuge. Where do you go to find peace and comfort? Where do you go to, to get back your sanity in times of such distress and anxiety? How many of us uh, indulge in bad habits? I don't know that there's any alcoholics in the congregation here uh, that, that have been suffering with alcoholism. Maybe there are a few who have 
uh, come out of that, hopefully, and aren't dealing with that, maybe uh, different kind of drugs and things like that, but more common is the indulging in foods, right? I mean, uh, we all know what comfort food is, and in times of distress, if you're like me, you crack open a bag of potato chips, or you go for the ice cream, or the little Debbie's, or whatever it is, and you just start indulging in those foods, or maybe uh, you indulge in social media. You just blank out, and you just do this on your cell phone uh, until you, you finally feel numb, and, and you can go back to those things that you can't stand, uh, that, that, are, that you're struggling with. Uh, where do you go for refuge? Where do you go for the break from the struggles of life? Are you going to your friends, to your brothers and sisters in Christ? That's a healthy place to go. Uh, that's a good place to go beyond social media, which is all just very disconnected, uh, you know, going to people. To actually go to someone you know and love and to confide in them the struggles of life and to seek their advice and seek their encouragement and seek their help. That's a good thing. That's a healthy thing, a healthy way of dealing with your struggles. Notice in verse 1 it says, God is our refuge. Notice it doesn't say, God will give us refuge. That makes sense. We have blessings from God that he gives to us that we can find peace and comfort in. We have each other for that. But it doesn't say that. It says, God is our refuge. That's, that's what he is. And that not, not that we can go to uh, some place to find the refuge that he's providing to feel safe, but that we can go to him reminds me of the familial relationships that we have in our own families. How children, if they're scared, run to mommy and daddy. <laughs> and they find safety. They find uh, comfort and courage to face whatever it is that they're struggling with, whatever it is that they're scared of. And so as I think about myself and my tendencies to seek refuge in things that are not healthy or things that are not good and things that will let me down as much as I love to confide and find, you know, comfort in people, uh, sometimes like Job, we're miserable comforters, aren't we? I mean, some things we're just not equipped for, unfortunately. And those around us who we go to for refuge, do they match God? Maybe instead we should stop looking elsewhere and we should start looking to God for, for our refuge. Uh, that's what I think the psalmist is trying to get us to open our eyes to. In times of depression, in times of struggle, why not look to God? And all the little self-help books and things like that that I read, rarely do they point to that one truth, that one fact, instead of looking at different therapies and different medicines and all these things that are going to help you and give you the, the peace that you need, rarely, if ever, do they say, look to God, who has the power to do things that are beyond what we could even conceive. Notice he says, God is our refuge and strength. That's, that's important. He's our refuge. He's our strength. He gives us the strength that we need. He is the strength that we need. Even though we don't have the strength, he has the strength and he uses it on our behalf. And then he says, a very present help in trouble. Not just a help in trouble, 
Not just a present help in trouble, but a very present help in trouble. You know, whenever I'm struggling with something or have something I'm going through, I have to think about the fact that God is with me. He's not visible. I don't see him, but I have to think about it. But the fact that I don't recognize him there with me does not remove him from being with me. And the psalmist recognizes God is our refuge. He is our strength. He is a very present help in the times of trouble. He is here at all times. He's never far away from a child of his. And that's the beauty of being God. You know, I think about my children, raising them up. I'd love to be with them in all their troubles and all their trials. I'm terrified of what the future might hold for them. Uh, How wonderful it would be if I could just be with them all the time without them really noticing. And then they they need something and they call and I'm right there. Hey, yeah, I got you right here. This is what you do. This is, I'm going to fix you up. That's exactly what God has, what he has available for all of us. And that's an amazing thing that I think this psalmist brings out. So just that first verse alone is enough for a lesson for us. But uh, we continue, we see more. He says, verse 2, Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Salah like to kind of shift gears here as he's talking about and thinking about God being our refuge, he starts talking about fear. I'd like to just kind of take a second and think about what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of in life? We all have different fears. Some of us have fears of failure. Some of us rejection. Some of us are afraid of the unknown and afraid of change. And we don't want anything to change because change is bad. In our life, in the past, things have changed. Everything has fallen apart. And we just want everything to stay the same. I love for things to stay the same. I certainly don't want uh, my children to grow up. I tell them not to grow up, uh, but they don't listen. Uh, So, you know, one day I'm going to figure that out. But we have fears inside of us, things that we're struggling with, that we don't want to happen, uh, that we're terrified of. But listen to the psalmist as he describes uh, these events. He says... Though the earth gives way, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Just imagine these pictures. The psalmist is describing chaos. This is chaos in the world. This is catastrophe on a level that we've never imagined. That we could never even fathom actually seeing and experiencing. And we would look at it and say, well, that's surreal. I don't believe that's really happening. I must be hallucinating. The mountains crumbling into the sea. The sea raging and bubbling up. This idea of just boiling over and and coming into the, the... Land. Then the, uh, the mountains tremble at its swelling and there, there's earthquakes. I mean, it's just terror everywhere. The sense that everything that was once stable and steadfast becomes unstable. 
Those mountains don't move. That sea pretty much stays the same most of the time. Um, you know, the earth doesn't give way. Uh, it doesn't crack open and all of a sudden, you know, everything falls into it. I mean, that's not normal stuff. And so whatever we fear, notice he's, he's providing us with additional fears, much worse fears than we could ever even imagine. And he says before that in verse 2, Therefore, we will not fear, though these things happen. He says God's people need not fear. We have nothing to be afraid of. Even if these terrifying, catastrophic events happen to us in our lives, we don't have to be afraid. Really? <laughs> I mean, we, we had the COVID outbreak and there was, there's fear inside of us. We were kind of worried about things and we were thinking, oh no, this isn't good. This isn't going to happen, you know. I wish that I'd have had this sermon at the time of COVID and presented it. If I was more mature and experienced, I probably would have. But he says, we need not fear, though everything is crumbling around us. Things that have once been sturdy and steadfast and immovable are now showing themselves to be very fragile and frail. We don't need to be afraid. Because we, as God's people, don't place our faith and our trust in that there's no chaos in the world. We don't say, okay, life's okay as long as there's no chaos in the world. If there's chaos in the world, then life's not okay. And now it's time to be terrified. He says, we don't have to be afraid because we're putting our faith and our trust in something that is going to be steadfast and stable no matter what. God. God is steadfast and stable. Even when the mountains are crumbling around us and the sea is raging and everything's falling apart in our lives, we're not afraid because we trust in God. Our hope is rooted in God's power, His control over everything. We believe He has that level of control. And so even though all these things are happening, we know God has the power to stop them. We know God has the power to uh, work them around us and to provide everything for our good. And so we trust him. And we, he says, will not be afraid. It's a wonderful statement of faith, a wonderful way of looking at life that I would encourage us all to aspire to. This kind of mindset that it doesn't matter what happens. I'm not going to be afraid because there's nothing that changes God. He is a place of refuge and strength and help that will never, ever disappear on me and that will never be unable to fix what's wrong. He's always there. He's always in control. And he tells us this especially in verses 4 through 7. Listen to this picture that he gives us of God's stability and God's promises there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. That's amazing right there. There's so much gold 
in that passage. You see how he's telling us that uh, God's presence is being depicted to us as a river and a city, uh, that God is uh, providing this peaceful habitation. There is a habitation built by the hand of God. You know, we've, we could just, I could have told Roger hundreds of songs from this one psalm. Um, and he did a great job picking out some wonderful songs for us. But just listen to this. There's a river whose stream, streams make glad the city of God. There's this city that has a river running through it that everybody is enjoying life. Rivers bring life. Throughout the Old Testament, there's pictures over and over again of rivers uh, and, and this outpouring of waters on a dry and thirsty land. And there's just life and vegetation that comes up from it. In Ezekiel 47, the picture is a, a little bitty trickle coming from the temple of God that turns into this monstrous river. And, and it just is, is full of all kinds of life all around it. And then it's depicted in Revelation 22 at the end as uh, a river that is the river of life, providing life for everyone. And that river is in the city. Now, if you're familiar with those days, in the days of the psalmists, um, they, would, they would suffer siege. You would have a fortress that would prepare you for an army coming up against you. You'd have walls all around, and you would have to have some source of water uh, collection. Maybe there would be a rainwater collection system, or maybe there would be a river running through the city. In Babylon, there was a big, the Euphrates River ran right through the city. Uh, and so they thought they were set, and they would never suffer any loss until the, the Medo-Persians diverted the river, and then they came in through the canal where the river once was. Jerusalem itself has an underwater river spring that provides it with water. It's necessary. If you're going to sustain uh, your life in the midst of seeds, you need a river. And so the river is bringing life. But the picture is that this river flows to the city of God, the habitation of the Most High, who is in the midst of the city. And the city is also depicted as something that provides everything we need. So finding this city is extremely important because this city is the city where God dwells. And, and who's going to stop or, or come up against this city? It says the nations are raging. The kingdoms are tottering. And, and, and God, if, if, if they come up against him, he simply utters his voice and the earth melts. This city is untouchable. It's full of life. It's full of peace. Everybody in it has security. They have hope. They have gladness forever. So we need to find this city. But it's not a matter of geography. He's not talking about, and maybe he is talking about, the actual city of Jerusalem. But this is a reference to an eternal city that's talked about throughout the prophets. It's talked about in the New Testament as the, the new, the heavenly Jerusalem that comes down. This is an eternal city where we can dwell in the presence of God. And we can find his love and his mercy in abundance. And we can find rest behind the fortress of that city. It's not a city we find on a map, but it's a city we find by trying to uh, turn our spiritual focus away from this world and toward God turning toward God for refuge. And if we will turn toward God, we run toward that city, seeking Him, 
he says, we will find the help that we need. And that city will not be moved. We take refuge in a lot of things. There's not one thing on this earth that we can take refuge in that will not be moved at the voice of God. I love how in Revelation we talked about um, how they're, they're running to the mountains. And they're running to the hills and the clefts of the rock. And they're hiding in caves. And they're thinking, okay, there's nothing going to touch us here. But there's no refuge there. There's only a refuge in the city of God. In the presence of God. With him on our side. Well, at the end of that stanza, it, it says Salah again. And then it turns to an interesting invitation. Let's look at this invitation. Starting in verse 8, it says, Behold, or come, behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. You see the refrain that he's now repeated at the very beginning. He's our refuge. And then he says it twice. The Lord of hosts is with us. He is our fortress. But here, look at the invitation. He says, come, behold the works of the Lord. He's, he's, he's trying to invite. Come and behold this. And what does he describe? He describes God's victory. God is victorious. And, he, and he's inviting us to come and to behold how God has been victorious in the past. His power is unlike anything anyone has ever seen before. You notice how he says uh, he makes wars cease to the end of the earth. Wouldn't that be nice? You see a war going on? Stop. Brings it to an end. However he wants to. He says, all right, this side's more righteous and you just wipe them out. Oh, I want to judge this side. Just, all right, you're done. He makes wars cease. He has the power, the ability to conquer nations at his command. Well, this reminds me, as we're thinking about this idea that he has this power, this ability to, to control wars and battles you think about throughout the Old Testament, how many times he demonstrates that power and that ability? How many times are, is there a battle when God is, is able to just completely squash the enemy with just maybe a few hundred against hundreds of thousands? He has that power and that ability, and maybe the psalmist is thinking about that. But I think about Elisha. Do you remember Elisha? Uh, do you remember he is there with his servant and the armies? Uh, of, of Syria have come up and they've, they've determined Elisha needs to be taken out. He's the guy that's really messing us up and preventing us from having raids. And Elisha's servant wakes up and looks out the window and he sees this army all around him. And he's terrified. And Elisha, he looks over at Elisha, Elisha's fine. He says, are you not terrified? There's this army around us. And Elisha says, those who are for us are greater than those who are against us. And, and he prays. He says, God, open his eyes so that he can see. And he looks and he sees these chariots of fire 
all around the, the hill around him. And it just shows that he has that power, that ability that there's these unseen armies that he controls that can decide and determine wars. The interesting outcome is nobody dies. Elijah, Elisha prays that they be blinded and then they're taken and, and they're fed and they're returned. But God has this power within him that he can destroy whoever he wants. And notice this, this kind of helps us to understand this phrase that you see repeated here in verse 7 and verse 11. It says, the Lord of hosts is with us. What is that? The Lord of hosts. He's saying, come and behold how the Lord of hosts is able to conquer whoever he wants. Lord of hosts is talking about the heavenly host. This heavenly army, just like Elisha was able to reveal to, to that servant that God has control over this heavenly host. We've been reading in Revelation. We've been seeing how there's myriads and myriads of angels who come and praise Jesus whenever he's given the scroll and he's worthy to open it. God, God is the God of heavenly armies. One angel could wipe them all out, but he's a God of, of myriads of angels. And he has that level of power and that level of control. And so what we see is uh, he has the ability to break the bow and shatter the spear and burn the chariots with fire. No weapons of man can stop him. No one can defeat him. And then it says, be still and know that I am God. Now, forever I thought, oh, that's a wonderful phrase for me to be still. And there's application there. We'll talk about that. But first of all, understand, I think the picture is the enemies stop when they see who they're up against. And they know who God is as they see his ability and his power. And they're frozen. They're unable to move. They're, they're still at his command, and they can't do anything. He says, I will be exalted among the nations, and I will be exalted in the earth. Reminds me of the truth that is coming a day when every knee will bow at the name of Jesus. And that's the picture that we get here. God has that level of power, that level of control, and we, we are called to run to him for refuge and to trust him. I think that's what I would like to do. But is that what we're willing to do? You see, again, we can know that we should do something, but sometimes we fail to do it. You know, sometimes in our lives, we're the ones who are fighting against what God really wants. You know, it's uh, interesting in Philippians, uh, he talks about some brethren whose God is their belly. You know, they've, they've made themselves enemies of God. Instead of followers of Christ, they've turned and they've, they've pursued the ways of this world instead of pursuing God. And if we're not careful, our worries and our anxieties can cause us to do that, can cause us to turn to the world and lose sight of the wonderful God who we serve. But as our, as our struggles persist in life and, and we have these invisible forces of darkness, you know, powers of darkness that are battling against us and we're supposed to have that spiritual armor on, maybe we do need to just be still and know who God is and recognize how wonderful he is. Really, that's the whole psalm's message. Consider 
who God is. Take all your, your struggles, take all your trials, all your anxieties, all your worries, and hold them up against the abilities of God. Do they really stand? Is there anything that God is beyond God's power and his ability? I mean, his, his magnificence makes it look like nothing. And, he, and we can trust and know that he sees us and that he knows us and that he cares for us because he's made these promises. So take all your sufferings in life and compare them to the promises that he's made you. Consider how much God wants to give you the peace and the rest and the joy of eternal life. He wants to give it to you so bad that he gave his son to die for you. We see in this that we can just let go. We can surrender to God and just let him have his way. We can turn to him and find refuge. We don't have to leave the fortress. We don't have to go out and fight on our own all these battles. We don't need to fight against God. We can run to him and find that he is undefeated. No army, no force on earth or in heaven can stand against him. He's the greatest of all fortresses. He's a very present help in times of depression. I know that there are things that happen to us sometimes, traumas, events, that rewire our brains and we need to have therapy and we need to go through, maybe even take medications for a time and, and try to deal with certain things. But how wonderful is this psalm to tell us? God is with us. He's helping us. Will we turn to him? Will we run to him and find the help that he's offering? You get the picture. He's waiting for us. He's just watching, waiting for us to stop trusting in things that will never help us and to start trusting in him. Is that what you're willing to do? If you're here tonight and you're not trusting in God, I want to encourage you in the singing of this song and in just overall encouragement to just put your faith and trust in God every day. I'm not going to stand up here and act like I, I'm perfect at it. It's something that I struggle with from time to time. But it is something that we all should do more and more and more as life goes on. Because no matter what trials we face, he's always with us. So whatever you go through, run to him and find help. If you have a need, will you please come forward as we stand and as we sing?